Good morning. Question, you may be seated. I want you to enjoy yourself this morning. It's a special day, such a special day. How's the music been? Woo! Yes, 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 yes. It's been wonderful. Happy Mother's Day, right? Happy Mother's Day and happy um, Mother's Day to all those who do mothering. How many do mothering? I want to see every hand up. Come on now. Come on, the, the guys, we all do, do the mothering, right? Somebody got to make the world work. So, so it's such a joy and a delight to be here and to, uh, to be here in the pulpit with our guests and guests in the audience this morning. Um, would you pray with me? Oh God, you are here in this place. So we would just ask right now that your spirit prevails. We ask, oh God, that you might take me, your servant, and hide, you, hide me behind the cross so that your word and your spirit will come through to these listening people, to the hungry heart, to the broken hearts. We ask it all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now, there's not a clock in the back, so I, don't, I could go on all day. But you don't want that, neither do I. So I am preaching in the black uh, tradition this morning, so um, I would just ask that we could say like a little amen. Can we practice that? Come on, I didn't hear it. Amen. Okay, let's get going here. Okay. Um, do, you know, do you know that every now and then, God drops a handkerchief, not a Kleenex, a handkerchief. This is a handkerchief for y'all. God drops a handkerchief, and you know what? These handkerchiefs are called saints. Saints point us and they guide us towards a better world. Saints are a model to inspire us. Saints are also sinners. Saints also have fears and doubts. Saints live for a cause though that is bigger than themselves. In the Christian church, saints point us to God. And this morning, as we stand in the, the glow of Easter tide, God is still pointing and leading, and new ground and hope is springing up everywhere. Saints give us fresh perspectives on how to look at the world. Did you know that every now and then God drops a handkerchief? And these handkerchiefs are called saints. Today, we're going to lift up the legacy of Phyllis Wheatley, who is our patron saint right here, our ancestor, our daughter, a member of this congregation. And the question to ponder today is, what can we learn from this ancestor? In other words, what are the takeaways? In 1753, God dropped a handkerchief in Gambia 
Senegal, and this precious little handkerchief was kidnapped and from her family and from her country, and she suffered the middle passage and arrived aboard a ship not too far out here in the Boston Harbor named Phyllis. That little handkerchief was sold as a slave to John and Suzanne Wheatley, a wealthy merchant and tailor, a progressive family that didn't consider it immoral to educate an enslaved person. They renamed this tender little girl. She had a name when she was in Africa. But they renamed her, and they named her after the vessel that spirited her away from her country. She comes and she joins Old South at the age of 17 and becomes a devout Christian. And she's a congregationalist. She's a Puritan. She attends worship. But you know where she sits. She sits in the, the seats that are reserved, that are separate. She sits in the seats that are reserved for the enslaved members of the congregation. Do you know that God drops a handkerchief? And these handkerchiefs are called saints. Someone said we should not be shy or hesitant to call Phyllis Wheatley a genius. I think she was a genius, amen? She studied Latin, she studied Greek, she studied history, she studied theology and poetry. Inspired by the likes of Alexander Polk and Isaiah Watts, she stayed up at night writing heroic little eulogies, not little, they were big, eulogies to notable figures by candlelight, publishing her first verse in Newport, Rhode Island at the age of 13. Now, I'm really proud of that because that's where I was born. Amen. <laughs> Newport, Rhode Island, and that newspaper, the Mercury, is still in business. Scholars estimate that Phyllis wrote up to 100 poems. This is a special year because the special, it's a special year. It's the 250th anniversary of her landmark collection. It's the first collection by an enslaved African written in English. And the collection is called Reflections on Various Subjects, Religious and Moral. The books were not published here because she couldn't get a publisher here in Boston. Her books were published in London and they came over on a vessel called the Dartmouth. One of the three tea ships involved in the Boston Tea Party. Thank you, Old South Church. And the books made it off the boat safely. The tea did not. <laughs> in recent years, scholars have, been, have had this renewed interest in Phyllis Wheatley, and her work is leading to new discoveries about her life and her work. People are rethinking what, what they know about this phenomenal woman and the limits of what they know. We have one of these scholars with us here today, Addie, and we're so grateful that she's here. There is so much to learn from this enslaved African woman who was also a wife and a mother. But the one thing that I just want to lift up is that she spoke truth into a world that, not, that didn't even consider people who were wrapped in black and brown skin human. But with the Bible in one hand and the language of liberty that she heard as she grew up in the neighborhood of the American Re our Revolution, she heard words like freedom. She heard words like liberty. She heard words like equality. And so she walks in a very 
thin line indeed. She speaks into the white Christian world of the 18th century. And in her writing, she holds the wider Christian church, including her own church, this church in Boston, and all the churches in the area, all of the freedom-loving patriots accountable to the faith they proclaim, a biblical faith that in God's name cannot abide slavery, that in God's name renders all God's children equal in love. She exposes this. She walks the thin line. How brave to speak truth. And it was so radical, it continues to be radical for a woman and an enslaved woman, a black woman, to dare to write. But you know what? The interesting thing is, is that God comes to us in unexpected sources. God comes to us in unexpected sources like a Phyllis Wheatley. She is one who doesn't come from a majority people, but she comes from a disinherited people. And she comes with resiliency. She comes with hope. In one of her writings, the one that we read this morning as part of our um, liturgy, in her poem, A Hymn to Humanity, she reminds us that God wants our minds and our hearts to be open for people to live in harmony with one another. This is what an enslaved woman is saying. And why? So the earth can reach its fullest potential and the glory of God can be revealed. Because she knew that God dwelled in her. Amen? And because she knew that, she knew that God dwelled in other people as well. Phyllis Wheatley engaged this project, the American project, despite oppression and slavery and efforts to erase her basic humanity of not only her but other African people. Nevertheless, at the end of the day, with courage and faith, she engaged her time and space so beautifully with an unfailing hope that is rooted in a loving God. For Phyllis Wheatley, God is the ground of hope. God is the ground of hope. It's God who gives her the capacity and the gifts and then opens the doors, opens the doors. And when God opens a door, you can't shut it. It's God who opens the door and prompts her to act in ways that I only move her closer to God and who she is, but to her people. People knew her all around the world. God is the ground who hopes, and it's wonderful what Paul says. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave, slave or free. God is the ground and the maker of all. She engaged in an unfailing hope that never let her feel that God's creative powers would be exhausted by our little minds. And I told people earlier today, I have a little committee in my mind and sometimes get in the way. My responses and answers aren't always the best, but God's responses are the best. 
She engaged in an unfailing hope, knowing that God's love is not locked within the walls of time and space. She engaged with an unfailing hope expressed by James Russell Lowell, which says this, faith forever on the scaffold, wrong forever on the throne. Yet the scaffold sways the future. Behind the dim unknown stands God. Within the shadow, keeping watch over God's own, the God of history, continuing, continuing to march on through Phyllis Wheatley to Harriet Tubman, Frederick Douglass. I could go down the road this morning, but the, the, the God of history keeps marching on. Phyllis Wheatley embodied a kind of unfailing faith that we need in times like this. Can I get an aim? Am I helping anybody? <laughs> it just had to ask. We need an unfailing faith. I won't go down the list of what keeps me up at night, but things do keep me up. And if we were but wise and daring enough, would we have the kind of unfailing hope that Phyllis Wheatley had to be able to speak truth to power, to perhaps say things, hard things to one another? What could our world look like if we lived into God's dream with hope? What if we show up with hope? What if we showed up with God, the ground of all of our hope? Might we see a world whose ugliness and poverty and hostility and war and greed and harsh competitiveness and alienation and divisions change into their glorious counterparts? What about laughter? What about joy? What about love? What about peace? What about caring? What about sharing? A world transformed through hope, kindness, forgiveness, and humility. So here's the charge. Our Christian faith calls us to do more than be spectator sports. Amen? Hope is a verb. In the words of one of my mentors, Reverend Dr. William Barber, founder of the Poor People's Campaign, this is what he says, we must be moral defibrillators and shock the heart of this nation. Like our patron saint who turn heads all around the world, we need to turn some heads. We need to have a hope that is enduring. Why? You ask why? Because if there's ever been a time for love, it's right now. If there's ever been a time for justice, it's right now. If there's ever been a time for truth, it's right now. And the thing about it is, it, about it, we were born for it. We were born for this. In the words of the youngest inaugural poet laureate, Amanda Gordon, she says, there is always light if we only are brave enough to see it. There is always hope, as long as we have breath in our bodies. 
if only we're brave enough to see it. Every now and then, what happens? God drops a handkerchief. And these handkerchiefs, handkerchief, are called, what? Saints. Dare we pick it up? Dare we be inspired and have an enduring hope for such a time as this? God bless you.